Bibles. Y'all ready to go back there? All right, if you have your Bibles, um, open up to back up to the book of Matthew. We're continuing today in um, this series looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 6, and then verses 16 through 18. And we'll get the ones in the middle um, next week. So anyways, I read a story this week about um, this elderly man, and he was walking the beach one day, and, and he looked down, and he, and he saw this lamp. And he thought to himself, I wonder what happened if I rub this lamp. And he began to rub this lamp, and this, this genie pops out of this lamp. And the genie said, you know, since you freed me, I'm going to grant you one wish. Any wish you want, I'm going to grant you not three. I'm going to grant you one wish, so make it a good one. So the man began to think and think about what, what he really wanted. And, and he looked at the genie and in all sincerity, and he says, you know, my brother and I, we got into a fight 30 years ago. He hasn't spoken to me since. And, and I just wish, if possible, that, uh, that he could forgive me. And with a loud clap, the genie says, your wish is granted. Then he asked the man, he says, you know, he says, I'm just really surprised by your answer. He said, because any other time they ask for great wealth or some mansion or some crazy thing, and he says, I'm just, I'm really impressed that you would ask about just forgiveness with your brother and the genie just says, you know, I'm, I'm just curious. Is, are, are you dying or something? Or, I mean, are you ill that you're wanting to get this all taken care of before the end of your life? Or what's going on? And he's, he says, no, I'm not sick. But my brother's old and about to die. And he's worth $60 million. Yeah. I guess we could say that uh, that man's motives might have been just a wee bit off. Right? We're going to be talking today about motives. You know, when it comes to life, motives are important, and motives really um, simply can be defined as the reasons why we do the things that we do. Like, what's the real reason behind the things that we do? And, you know, these things are important. Motives are important in, in so many areas of life. Certainly, um, through the course of a marriage, and the course of a family, through the course of the life of a church, the reason we do things, the motives behind people are, are so important. You know, like many things, motives can be good or bad. A person's motives can be innocent and, and done for the benefit of others, or they can be very self-serving. They can be godly and, and done and, and love, or else they can be sinful and selfish. Motives are important, especially when it comes to our personal life and our personal service to the Lord. And as we'll see as we get into our verses today, our motives matter very, very much to God. He sees our heart, and our motives should matter very, very much to us as well if we want to honor Him, and if, as we'll see today, if we want to have any hope whatsoever at any type of heavenly rewards. Let's go ahead and read our text for today, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and then 16 through 18, and then we'll pray and ask God's blessing on His Word in this time. It says this, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your Father who sees everything will reward you. And in verse 5 he says, when you pray. 
Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. And then your Father who sees everything will reward you. And then jumping down to verse 16, it says this. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. But I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, and then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much just for this time again, Lord, and just for your word that, that gives us so much um, direction for our life, that challenges us, um, that convicts us at times, that, that encourages us. And tonight, God, I pray that all those things would happen. Father, that we would um, leave this place um, just understanding a little bit more, God, about what you want from us. Leave this place looking a little bit more like our Savior. Heavenly Father, we know, um, I know, God, that there is no power in the voice of a man. God, I'm just, I'm just a tool, God, for you to use for your people, and I just pray that your words would come forth. God, just use my mouth as, as, as your mouthpiece um, to speak to, to my heart and to every heart in here, God, that we can leave this place changed. Father, the goal of this place is to glorify your name, and I just pray that you would remove any distractions that may be in here. Um, if the enemy is lurking, God, remove him from this place, God, that we can um, truly be moved by your Holy Spirit tonight. Father, we love you. We praise you. Bless this time we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So over the last number of weeks, um, we've been studying what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, which is, as I've said a number of times, was basically a series of teachings that Jesus gave to a large crowd on a mountainside up in northern Israel um, next to the Sea of Galilee. Um, you know, some of the commentators I, I read this week were saying that although this was kind of a one-time sermon that Jesus gave this big production, this really was the uh, a lot of Basically, what he taught throughout his earthly ministry were these basic principles and things. And since it's been a few weeks since we kind of looked at a lot of this stuff, I just want to just do a, just a quick, quick recap before we get into what we're talking about today. So, so far we've looked at the Beatitudes, which were essentially attitudes or attributes that we should be having in our life if we want to look like Jesus. All those things are attributes that Jesus exemplified in his life so well, and that's the example he's given us to follow, and it's important that we follow it because of what came after that. We've been called to be lights to this world. Jesus was the ultimate light to the world, but we've been called to follow in his footsteps, and the only way we can be the true lights to the dark world around us is to follow in the footsteps of Christ and to do our best to, to, to live, a, live in a way that, that shines him through our lives. And then we spent a number of weeks looking at a variety of Old Testament laws and principles that um, reminded the people that when it comes to God's laws and expectations for their lives, at least to the audience Jesus was speaking to, he showed them that what they had been taught and what God's desire was in those laws were really um, different in a lot of ways. What they were being taught wasn't exactly what God really meant by the laws that he had given. The people really had lost sight of the heart of the law. Um, you know, when it came to um, what would have been considered big sins like murder or adultery, which were two of the Ten Commandments, Jesus taught that, that all sin's a big deal. It's, it's not just the big sins that are a big deal. Every sin's a big deal. And those big sins start with sin that's 
deep down within us. Um, it starts really here in the heart, and then as sin goes unconfessed and, and undealt with, it turns into bigger sins. And so we need to make sure we deal with the heart issue, not just the outward issue. Um, we, we've, we've dealt with how God views marriage and divorce, and, and you know, it's an important relationship that be, should be preserved at all possible. You know, we, he's dealt with the issue of vows, and he taught us the importance of being people of integrity, people who can be trusted to follow through on the commitments that we make as God's people to others. Um, he's also dealt with how we should treat people, even people who are not necessarily the easiest to get along with, even people who, are, um, who, who treat us unfairly, who treat us unjustly, people that are not nice, even people that are evil, instead of being spiteful towards them or vindictive. He's taught us that we should instead choose to show them the love of God and go the extra mile to show them what being a Christian is all about. The whole chapter 5, most, I mean, the vast majority of it was really focused on a heart issue. That, that God wants us to do what we do out of a motivation of love. Love to God and, and love to the people around us. God is seeking a pure heart in us. And that's really what those laws were about. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, the law and all the Old Testament prophets and principles really can be summed up into two basic things. We should love God with everything in us, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we should seek to love our neighbors as if we're loving ourselves. In the laws, the prophets, all these things can be summed up into that basic thing is loving God and loving people. And that statement of Jesus in Matthew 22 really is the foundation of what we're going to be talking about here today as well. In our verses today, Jesus deals with some very basic examples of what would have been just common practices throughout the, this, this time period that Jesus was in. And, and quite honestly, there's still basic practices for the Christian still today in so many ways. And then the three examples he kind of gives here are financial giving, praying, and fasting. And the big point we're going to see him make in all these really is that our motive behind doing what we do as Christians, that these general, normal, every week practices of a Christian, everyday practices of a Christian, it's not as important that we just do them. It's really the heart behind why we do them. What is our motive in doing these things? Now, if there has been one thing that has plagued the church over the centuries. It's the issue of people doing religion, if you know what I mean by that, or, or, or doing church. It's the idea that, that, that people put on a show for the people around them to see. They, they put on some facade to impress the people around them. Um, it, it was called many times the, the Sunday face and they would pretend to have life all together in their attempt to convince people that they're something that they're not. To convince people that they're holier than thou, that, there are, that they have no issues, that they have their whole life together. And, and instead of doing what they did out of reverence and worship to the Lord, they spend their time trying to impress others in the church around them. That's, that's plagued the church. And if you've been in the church for much of your life, you probably know what I'm talking about. You, you, you probably have pictures in your mind of, of some of these things that have happened through even our lifetime. And this really is kind of what Jesus is dealing with in this particular passage 
of Scripture because what has plagued the church for centuries was certainly alive and well in Jesus' day too. And so to combat this, just like he did with the law, he reminded the people that what they were experiencing in their everyday life, what they were seeing from these religious leaders that were supposed to be setting an example, wasn't exactly what God had intended for those common everyday practices for God's people. And the first thing he deals with here in verse 1, he simply says, watch out or be alert or, you know, keep your eyes open. You know, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. So Jesus starts the section out by making this general statement about good deeds that God's people do. Some of your Bibles may say righteous deeds. That The idea of what Jesus is saying here are deeds done in the name of serving the Lord. The things we do in the name of serving God is what he's talking about here. Now, question. Is there anything wrong with doing good deeds in the name of the Lord? Well, no. Obviously not. I mean, I would argue that's exactly what we're created to do, according to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, where God's masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. For those good deeds that we were called long ago to do, right? And so the issue here is not doing good deeds. It's the motive behind them, which he says here, where these people were doing them publicly to be admired by others. So he's dealing with the why behind the deeds, not the deeds themselves. So what Jesus was calling the question were the good deeds being done in their lives um, were not really being done with innocent motives. They were doing them in the name of God, but for a self-serving, selfish motive, if you will. The idea was instead of doing these things simply out of reverence to God, simply to, to honor him and to serve the people around them, they were doing what they were doing in giving these, doing these righteous things for the sole purpose of the pat on the back, for the sole purpose of the attaboy, for, the, for, the, for, these, for these lower people that weren't the religious elite to look at them and go, wow, I hope I can attain their stature of holiness someday. It was boosting their ego. Their heads were swelling bigger and bigger and bigger. was kind of the idea of what Jesus was talking about here. He, he was, and he was basically saying that if their motive for whatever righteous deed they did was for some sort of selfish human praise, for the purpose of boosting their ego, it was essentially worthless in God's kingdom. One, it was setting a bad example, honestly. And two, God saw their heart. And whatever deed they were trying to do in the name of the Lord, there was zero heavenly value to it because they're doing it completely for a selfish reason. They were working in vain. They're like a hamster spinning on a wheel and getting absolutely nowhere when it comes to doing God's work. And so when he talks about these righteous deeds, he gives three basic examples. One of them being, I guess what we would call today, charitable giving. The, the idea of giving financially. Now, during Jesus' day, it was really, it, it wasn't a lot different than it was today. Jewish people, um, they, their, their giving would have been like this. They, they would have given a tithe to their local temple, to the temple, the local synagogue or whatever. They, they would give their, their, their weekly tithe. They would give offerings. And the people who could, people who had the means, they would go even above and beyond that and would often um, give alms, I guess you would say, or simply they would help people in need financially or with some basic um, thing that would help whatever need that they were dealing with. And so Jesus deals with this in verse 2. He says, when you give to someone in need... Don't do as the hypocrites do. Again, speaking of these people that were doing it for personal praise, 
blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charities, I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward that they will ever get. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus used this word hypocrite quite a bit. Now, what's interesting about this word in ancient Greece, um, this term was actually used for an actor. These people would have like these masks that would literally cover their face with some crazy expression on them of smiling or sad or mad or whatever, and it was known as a hypocrite. It was presenting something that wasn't real, was kind of the idea. So a hypocrite is one who pretends to be what he or she is actually not. It's the the idea of putting on a facade or an attempt to show people that you're something when you're really just faking it. It's kind of the idea. Now, it's said that these religious leaders of Jesus' day had a practice, um, and again, this is just, nobody knows exactly how true this is, but it's according to tradition, they say that these leaders would find some street corner or the corner of the synagogue somewhere, and they would have these little trumpets, and they would blow their trumpets, and all the poor people would come, you know, and it was, come to me, my children, and receive your gifts, type of an idea, right? And so they're on their pedestal, and everybody has come to their big benefactor, It wasn't about love for the people. It wasn't about love for God. It was all show. It it was for the purpose of impressing people by their generosity. And obviously God saw their hearts because Jesus was speaking to exactly this in this passage of Scripture. See, Jesus was saying that their motives weren't pure. Now, it was a good thing to give. It was certainly a good thing to help people in need. But when it came to God's view on it, their good deed was marred by self-centered, sinful attitudes that honestly wasn't a worth a plug nickel in the heavenly realms. No matter how much money they gave, it was worthless when it came to building heavenly wealth, which obviously is more important. And again, the only reason they did this was to have people think they were something special. Now, supposedly in the temple, there was actually a box back in some corner somewhere that you could put money for the poor, just in private. Well, that wasn't good enough for these people. They could have put it there, but no, they wanted to do it on the streets for people to see them. But Jesus says here in verse 3, But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So the idea here is, is give without any expectation of return. Give and pretend like you never did it. You know, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Take this. You know, it's kind of the idea. And it's just a mental thing where it's saying, I, I want no credit for this. This is just something that I'm doing out of love um, in my heart for whoever it is around here. He says in verse 4, Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Again, his basic point is that if you want God to give you heavenly credit for your charitable deeds, then you'd better check your heart and make sure that you're giving with the right motives. Today would be giving into the church, giving offering, giving tithes, giving to the poor, giving to charities, giving to radio stations, whatever that looks like. We shouldn't do that with an expectation of somebody to pat us on the back for whatever we're getting, we're giving. Then he gives another example um, in prayer. He says in verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly in the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. 
So during this period of time, these um, religious leaders, they had three basic times where they would pray, 9 in the morning, noon, and 3 p.m. And so most of the time, traditionally, they would go to the synagogue or to the temple to pray, but what seems to have been going on here is they, these, these people would time it just right that they wouldn't quite make it to the temple, but they wouldn't make it to some busy street corner and go, oh, would you look at the time? It's three o'clock. Three, can you believe it's three o'clock already? They get real serious. Oh, Lord. You know, and they would just go on this, and they say they'd go on these just real drawn out prayers, and it was just all about impressing the people of, of wow, I wish I could pray like that guy, was kind of the idea. And again, just a, a major, major heart issue. Jesus saw their hearts. And all they really wanted was the praise of man. Now, we should ask, why did the people of Jesus' day pray? What was the point of their prayer? Well, same as it is today. God hasn't changed. Prayer is the same purpose then as it has now. It's, an, it's a form of communication with God. It's his portal to talk with the Lord. No, it's to declare his praises, to confess our sins, to petition him for forgiveness and other needs, whether personal or for someone else. And, and a big one, it's to, it's to align our hearts with God's heart. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the idea that, that our prayer time brings our hearts back into God's perspective. Or it gives us God's view on, on things of life. But now, think about this. Would any of these things happen if the only reason people prayed was to be seen by other people? If, if they had no real interest in honoring God or communicating with God or seeking personal forgiveness or giving God praise or whatever these things are, and the only thing they were doing is these big drawn-out prayers to go, well, no. Their prayers at that point would essentially have been worthless. And at that point, really, what was the point? And so Jesus says in verse 6, But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private, and then your Father who sees everything will reward you. The idea is to go to a private place where we can impress nobody else except for God. Because the purpose of our prayers is not to get people to look at us and go, wow, there's such a good prayer. The purpose is to impress the Lord, impress our needs upon him, impress that, that we, we, we want him, we desire him, right? Now, is there a place for corporate prayer? Absolutely. This isn't, say that, this isn't saying that it's wrong to, to stand up here in front of a church and pray or to have somebody stand out there and pray or, or praise in Bible studies around people. That's not. In fact, the Bible says we're two or three are gathered in my name. There I am in the midst of them. You know, we should come together in prayer. The point is the motivation of the heart. The, the, the example he's given here is like the only thing, the only audience that you should be worried about is him. The audience of one that we have up there in heaven, whether it's in our giving or whether it's in our prayer, it's not about the people around us. It's not about impressing them. It's about honoring God. And I, I can just tell you this. Some of the most beautiful prayers I have ever heard have come from brand new Christians who have no clue how to pray the proper way. And all they're doing is talking to God and sharing their heart. Can I tell you something? That is the most pure, beautiful and pure prayer that there is. And never, ever, ever think that I'm just not good enough for this. I don't think I should do it. It has nothing to do with good enough. Good enough for who? All God cares about is this. Right there. And that's his point. 
His point is, is, if you want your prayers to be heard, accepted, appreciated, and answered, then we need to come to him with a pure heart, with pure motives. One, one um, person said this, the eloquence of prayer consists in the fervency of desire and in the simplicity of the person's faith. And that is so true. And I would just go as far as to say this, if our prayers are designed to impress people, we can be assured that they will not impress God. And then furthermore, he, he, says, he says there, if that's our motive, he says that uh, there's no reward for that. And to me, what that says is if we're praying like that, our prayers are going to accomplish about that much. You think God's going to answer those prayers when our motivation is not even, no, it's, there's no reward for prayers like that. And then he gives a third example of fasting down there starting in verse 16. And again, he says, when you fast, don't make it obvious. As the hypocrites do. They, they, they try to look miserable. They try to show people. I mean, the, the idea was they were fasting and they wanted everybody to know it. Oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, my belly is, oh. You know, it, it was just the idea. They wanted people to look at them and go, wow, what a spiritual giant. Now, customarily, these people would fast a couple times a week. These religious leaders were. Again, the, 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 they weren't doing it for the right reason. Now, what is fasting? Biblical fasting is basically abstaining from food, a fleshly need, for the purpose of getting God to meet a spiritual need. Um, there are times in our personal lives or in the life of a church that coming before God in a more intensified, desperate state is needed before God will move in a situation that we're facing. Why God has chosen this method, I don't know. I think it has something to do with the fact that we get to a point where we are absolutely in desperate need of him. And we are just pleading at his feet. Everything else is off the table and you're my only hope. It's kind of the idea. That's where we get when we're fasting. Um, there are some battles in life that are spiritual at the core. And the only way that God has given us to combat these is through fasting and prayer. You know, when the disciples were out trying to um, get rid of demons, right? And, and they're like, we couldn't do it, Lord. He says, those kind can only be removed with what? Fasting and, and prayer. And so there's, there's some spiritual battles that this is necessary. Um, fasting basically shows God that we are desperate for his help. We're willing to seek his attention by this extraordinary measure of forsaking necessary food so that our voice might be heard in heaven. That's kind of the idea. Um, one, one person, some, um, one commentator, Wesley Dowell, said this, fasting in the biblical sense is choosing not to partake of food because your spiritual hunger is so deep, your determination and intercession so intense, your spiritual warfare so demanding that you have temporarily set aside even fleshly needs to give yourself to prayer and meditation. It's, I can tell you this, that the closer you go to the Lord, the more important this is in the life of a Christian. But what fasting is not about is impressing people. It's about seeking God in sincerity. So in verse 16, like, like he says, don't make it obvious. Don't look miserable. The, the point um, is, the, the point when we do these things is not to impress people. It's to, again, impress our needs upon the Lord. So in verse 17, he says, when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face. Some translations talk about putting oil on your head and these different things. There, there were basic health care things, just basic um, daily things that you would do. You know, 
Put on deodorant, you know, and comb your hair and brush your teeth and put on a smile. Don't walk around and, and let everybody know that, oh, I'm fasting and oh, it's been, oh, it's been three days and 14 hours. But I'm going strong. Pray for me, will you, so I can finish my next three days out. It's, it's a heart issue. And, and again, it's, it's not saying that there's never a proper time to do corporate fasting. This is a biblical principle too. It's a good thing. It has nothing to do with the practice itself. It has everything to do with the heart issue. Fasting is a powerful thing when done with a pure heart, but if it is done to impress people, it is absolutely worthless. The only thing it will accomplish is a growling stomach and zero spiritually. Now, all of these examples have one basic theme, which is that God sees our hearts. God sees the reasons behind why we do the things we do. And I can tell you this is God is not interested in us doing church. He's not interested in people just doing religion for the sake of doing religion. He's not interested in us put, put, in people putting on a show for other people around us to see. God does not want us to put on a facade to convince people we have it all together. He wants us to be people who are genuine. He wants us to be people who serve him, who serve one another, simply out of a pure heart of love for God and love for the people around us. Now, as we think about these examples, and again, there's only three examples we've used here, and really, although he used three, these could be used for just about any other basic Christian practice that there is. Now, here's why I say this. Now, in chapter 5, he he talked about, what, two of the Ten Commandments, right? He talked about murder, he talked about adultery. But can we safely say that the same principle he was making on those two was true for the other eight? Absolutely. Same thing that it went for um, some of the other things that he talked about. All those, there's a principle behind all of them. In every single one of them, it's not about just doing those things for the sake of doing those things or doing those things to, to make God think we're holy and to, for us to compensate for all of our other sins or this or that or to, to impress the people around us. It has nothing to do with that. It's all about the heart. And so as we think about these basic practices, we could use this for just about anything. Gaining knowledge in God's Word. Singing in church. Using our spiritual gifts. Serving in some capacity. Whatever. Pick one. The same principle applies to all of these things. And it's this, that the reason why... We are doing these things. The heart, of our, the heart of hearts behind why we do these things is so, so important when it comes to the Lord. And we need to be on guard that our good deeds, our things done in God's name, are done for the right reason. Now, we've talked a lot about the wrong motivation from these Pharisees. And I, and I would even add this one because this is really a big principle we saw in chapter 5. Can I tell you something? When it comes to these practices, these normal practices of a Christian... Giving, praying, fasting, serving, reading our Bibles. These are not salvation issues. And it's so important to understand. Now with the Pharisees of old, they looked at these things as salvation issues. And in fact, one commentator said this, to the Pharisee, giving alms to the poor and to be righteous were essentially one and the same. To give alms was to gain merit in the sight of God and was even to win atonement and forgiveness for past sins. And so just like they were trying to follow the Ten Commandments and all these things, and they were trying to gain righteousness 
through those things, they were doing these for exactly the same reasons. Why do I pray? Because that's how I get right. That's how God's, I'm, I'm going to get to heaven. How, why do I give? I'm going to get to heaven. All these things combined, they were convinced in their minds that these things, these basic practices were their ticket to glory. And, and I will just say that these things are not a salvation issue. But many people in the churches around the world, churches that we'll meet this weekend, look at these things as a salvation issue. They think as long as they go to church, say the ritual prayers, throw some coin in the offering plate, that God's going to give them a place in heaven. But what Jesus is dealing with here is not salvation issue. Giving, praying, fasting, all these things, they have nothing to do with getting to heaven. They're simply common practices of people that are already Christians. These are things that Christians do for the sake of honoring the Lord. They can't save them from their sins. Now, with that, we've, like, we've looked at a lot of the wrong motivations for giving, for praying, for fasting, for serving, for whatever it is, right? So the question is then, and I want to kind of just focus on this in our, in our time left here, is what's the right motivation? So if we want heavenly reward... Now, we're going to get to that in a couple of weeks. But if, if we want heavenly reward, which we do. I don't know about you, when I get to heaven, I want God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Right? I, I want to receive heavenly reward because we're going to get to place those heavenly rewards back at the feet of Jesus. So getting these rewards are important. So the question is, is how does God want us to serve? How does God want us to give? How does God expect us to pray? How does God want, um, what's, what's the motivation behind all these Christian practices that will gain this reward someday? How do we get the right motivation or what is that right motivation so we actually get them someday? Now, when it comes to the Christian life, I will start by saying this. Simple obedience, just simple, pure-hearted obedience to God's word is a great place to start when it comes for a good motivator. A big part of the Christian life is learning what God expects of us and simply making a decision of the heart to willingly obey. When we look into God's Word and we see this command or this principle, there's a choice that we have to make. I either look at that and say, Lord, I'm going to do my best to follow this. Or we look at it and go, eh, my heart's not really in it, so no thanks. I mean, really, right? I mean, that's, that's essentially the choices that we make. The, the Bible's packed full of different commands and principles to guide our lives. The Bible was given us to, to light the path of life in front of us, but whether we choose to follow it or not really is on us. It's our choice. Now, this is true from the point of salvation, from the point before salvation, right? Now, think about this principle. You have this person that doesn't know Christ, they're, they're unsaved, and they hear a truth from the Bible, that they are a sinner. Their sin has separated them from God. And they have no hope of heaven in their soul, so that's why God sent Jesus. God's perfect son, he sent him to this world, to this earth, to go to a cross and die for our sins. On that cross, he paid for our sins in full. He died, he was buried, he raised from the dead. Three days later, the work of salvation was complete, and all you got to do is admit you've sinned. Just to say, Lord, I've sinned. And I need what Jesus did in that cross to count for me. So come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior, because I believe that what you did in that cross and your resurrection from that grave is good enough to save my soul. Right? They have a decision to make, don't they, when they hear that? 
when they're presented with that gospel, they can do one of two things. They can say, yes, I believe and I will obey, or they can say, nope, not for me. It's a choice. When it comes to anything, there's just one basic example. example, when it comes to any of these things, when we're confronted with something in Scripture, that's always the choice. Are we going to obey? Are we going to take God at his word? Or are we going to ignore it? Now, when it comes to giving, praying, fasting, and the like, these same principles apply. Now, notice a word for each one of these. Notice in verse 2, what's the first word in verse 2? He doesn't say if. He doesn't say if you feel like it. What does he say? What? Yeah. Well, yeah, and when, well, but it, it's, mine says when, right? So the, the idea is, is not if you pray, but, but when you pray, when you give, when you fast. Jesus was assuming that these people were doing these things because they were common everyday practices that God's people were expected to do. These weren't things that were only done by serious, especially zealous Christians. These were things that all God's people were expected to do. And frankly, still are still today. I mean, think about prayer. As I said, you know, prayer is, is the line of communication with the Lord. It's God's method of, of, of having us be a part of accomplishing his will on earth, right? I mean, it, it's, it's God's way of aligning our hearts with his. Without prayer, we have zero hope of living for him. So prayer is important, isn't it? I mean, prayer is something that if we don't do it, we have zero hope whatsoever of living for God. So do you think prayer is something that every Christian is expected to do? Well, sure. So it's not if you pray, it's when you pray, do these things. Well, fasting is, should be looked at the same way. It's really a gift from God to us to, give, to get us to a place of full dependence and full surrender. And, but it's, again, it's our choice whether we do it or not, but it's nonetheless expected of us. And, and even thinking about, say, like charitable giving. I mean, the Bible is clear that we're supposed to be generous and obedient with our finances. I mean, he just dealt with this in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 42. Give to those who ask. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow. We're supposed to be generous. I mean, and the Bible's like pretty clear about this. I mean, it really isn't a whole lot of you know, wiggle room when it comes to our finances with the Lord. You know, the Jews were expected to give tithes and offerings, and the same principle is still alive today. I mean, it's not about a law, it's not about gaining heaven, but there's still a principle that we're to give our tithes and offerings to the Lord. And and just to know, this really isn't a hard one to understand. A tithe literally means a tenth. If you want to know what, when we say tithes and offerings, it literally means a tenth. And the biblical principle um, when it comes to finances is that God wants our first fruits. He wants the, the tenth right off the top. That's the tithe. The offering is above and beyond that. So the expectation of God biblically is that we give a tenth of all of our income to his work. This, when you say first fruits, this means, this means before we worry about entertainment, before we worry about our bills, before we worry about giving to the government. It means all of these things and all these things we give God first. That's a clear biblical principle, and we have a choice as to whether we're going to look at that and go, okay, God, I trust you, and in obedience, I'm going to follow through with this and say yes, or we go, hmm, I don't like that one. Right? I mean, I mean, it starts with obedience. In, in our heart of hearts, God wants 
obedience. Now, some have argued that if the only reason we're going to do something is because we're supposed to, then you might as well not do it at all. Who's heard that? But have you noticed that they only make that argument on stuff like giving money and serving? I mean, right? We need somebody to serve. Well, I mean, my heart's really not in it. You know, and I just, I don't want to do it with the wrong heart, so I think I'm just going to sit here in the sidelines. Right? Or, hey, tithing's a tenth of our income. What's the, do you know how much money that is? I mean, like before I give it to the government, you, you know how much money that is? Now, my heart's really not in it. And so, I'm okay with throwing a 20. I, I mean, you, you see this right? Now, do, do you notice that that people don't use this principle, say, like on stealing. Well, I know the Bible says not to do this, but I mean, I really want that new watch. And I mean, I, I, since my heart's really not in being honest, I'm just going to go take that thing. Well, it don't work that way, right? Or the Bible's supposed to be kind to others, but I just don't feel like it right now, so I'm going to be a jerk. The Bible says I shouldn't get drunk, but you know, my heart's really not in it right now. Just pass me the whiskey. And I know I'm being a smart aleck, but, but think about this. Just because something's not convenient for us, there is something to just saying, God, your word says it, and I want to do it, simply because your word says it. That, there's a purity in that motive, just wanting to be obedient to the Lord. Now, James chapter 4 and 17 says this. James 4, 17, remember it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So you see what I mean by simple obedience is a great motivation in our life? If God's word says it, I need to make an attempt to do it because that's what's right. Just because I don't feel like it, not doing it, it's a sin. And that's no better, obviously, right? So we're better off just to do it. Now, in saying that, though, I am fully aware that that is not a sustainable way to go about living our Christian life. If the only reason we ever do anything is just out of simple obedience, because I have to do this, I'm gonna, I don't want to mess up, that's not sustainable. And you will never, ever make it to the end. So what do we need? We need what Jesus was talking to in here. We need a heart issue. It's a heart issue. We need a heart change. It starts with just saying, God, I want to do this, and I'm going I'm to trust you. However, we move from that to say, God, but when I do this, will you please give me a heart that desires to do this. Change my heart, God, so that, that, that when I pray, that it's not like, oh, okay, I need to get this in before I go to work, and I don't really feel like it, but I, but I know if I don't do it, my day's not going to go right, so God, I'm going to take this five minutes, and I'm going to spend some time in prayer. Who's been there? I think, I mean, let's be honest, we've all been there at some point. Or with our Bible, like... I just don't feel like I have so much to do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to sit down, Lord. I'm going to do the chapter because I know I'm supposed to. We've been there, haven't we? Can I tell you something? That's okay to a certain extent. And don't beat yourself up over there. Those things are normal. However, here's what we need to get to the point. When we're going through that, God, will you please just remove the distraction? Will you please give me a heart that desires to seek after you? God, when it comes to your word, God, your word talks about how your words should be like honey on our lips. Man, God, I, I want that in my life, and I'm just not feeling it. Will you, will you give me that, Lord? 
so that I long after your word, so that these times of prayer aren't a chore, but, they, but they're, that they're a delight. And this works for everything, for serving. It's God, give me a heart to serve. Give me a love for the people around me. God, increase my love for them. God, that when I serve, it's not going to be a chore, but it's going to be something that I just desire to do. Can I tell you something? Even, even giving, it works the same way. Can I tell you something? When I first started tithing, my heart wasn't in it. It was simply because, God, your word says to do it, and we need to do it. My wife was a big part of that, because I was about to be like, I don't know about this, and she was just like, no, we need to do this, because God's word says so. But can I tell you something? He's changed my heart. It's no longer a chore. It hasn't been a chore for you. It's something I love to give of what God's given me. It's a joy, and what is, starts out as a simple just act of obedience becomes an act of worship as God changes our hearts. And that's where Jesus was getting at in here. He wasn't saying that the, the, the giving, praying, fasting that were are bad. There were good things, but they need to be done with the right heart. Out of simple love and reverence and worship for the Lord, and through that, a love for the people around us. That's what it's all about. And I'll just say this one more thing. Our rewards matter to God. Or else, why would Jesus have said this? Because out of every single one of these, don't give for the wrong reasons. Why? Because there's no reward in heaven for that. Don't pray with the wrong motives. Why? There's no reward. Don't fast with the wrong motives. Why? There's no reward. Jesus wants to reward us. How amazing is that? Not only did he he save us sinners... And he's going to give us heaven. But he wants on top of that, when we get there, to reward us for our work done in his name, for these good deeds done to serve him. He wants to give us that reward in heaven. That's the desire of his heart. And so let's take some advice from the word of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. He says, I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. I really believe the goal of the heart of Christ, and I know that's a, that's a big statement to make, but I really believe his goal in this passage was simply this. God wants to reward you, but to get there you need to have a pure heart. He, he, he wants us to be people that, that give of ourselves and give of our finances. He wants us to be people of prayer, people of fasting, people. He wants this from us, and he wants more and more of that from us, right? But he wants this more. He wants our heart. And in the heart of our hearts, if, if we're like, God, I want to do more for you, and it's just purely out of love and respect and admiration for him, the more we do that, the more we sow, the greater reward we're going to reap someday in glory. And I really believe Jesus cares about that reward for us, or else he never, ever would have taught this. Isn't that amazing? We serve an awesome, awesome God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time and for your word and and just for the the challenge that has come through this tonight. Um, Lord God, uh, I I know I was challenged this week, Father, and I just pray that, that all of us have been in some way or another, and I just pray, God, that you would work in our hearts. That, that, Father, whatever area it is that you have impressed upon us tonight, that, God, you would um, just, just give us the faith to respond um, and, and to, to move in whatever situation or area that is in, Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I know that every person probably in this place knows you as Savior because I know their testimony, but, but Lord, I have no idea who's going to listen to this message. And, and I, would, I would just say, if there's anybody who's never made that decision of faith, 
presented with this gospel that we are sinners in need of a Savior, that they would simply say yes in obedience to your word to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you to be my Savior. Come into my heart, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and Savior. And God, and if anybody's never done that, let them call out to you, God, in these moments, wherever they're at, and, and just receive the salvation that you so want to give them, Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your patience with us. I thank you, Lord God, that even though you see the, the wickedness of our hearts at times, you, you still never leave us, you never forsake us, and you're always helping us to go that, that next step forward, that we can live a life that honors you. God, give us the grace to live for you and to honor your name. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.